Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 is where Jesus is asked on that occasion, what is the first and great commandment? And he says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so our mind is to be engaged in that. So today's lesson is, think about it. So these are the points that we're going to give consideration to this morning. And I'm going to give you some illustrations. And one of those is from more recent history. (laughs) And then the second one is from Old Testament history. And I want you to give consideration. Would you call it strong faith or weak doctrine? And then the second one, strong faith, misguided. And then thirdly, loving God with your mind. Matthew, the 19th chapter. A young man comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do in order to be saved? And so this is to kind of paraphrase the conversation that takes place there. Jesus said, well, the commandments, how do you, how do you read them? And, and, and he says, he replies, says, which ones? And so Jesus begins to say, well, thou shalt not murder, and thou shalt not commit adultery, and thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not bear false witness, and honor your father and your mother, and, and to love your neighbors yourself. And the young man was excited. And he said, oh, all of those I've kept from my youth up. And then in Mark's account, Jesus said, but there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure laid up in heaven and come follow me. And the young man turned and went away and it says because he had much, he had many goods. Did he need to think about it? Yeah, he did. We've been studying the book of Galatians. Paul says in Galatians that ye who would seek to be circumcised have fallen from grace. And trying to encourage them, do not go back and do not be circumcised. Do not keep the law. And yet in Acts the 16th chapter, when Timothy joins up with them, he takes Timothy and has him circumcised. Think about it. Jesus is trying to convince his disciples of who he is. And Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the king we've been looking for. And then Jesus immediately following that says, now I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be turned over and I'm going to be abused and and be put to death. And Peter's like, that can't be. (laughs) Do you need to think about it? Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus says, If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. Because it would be better for you to enter into life maimed than to enter into hell whole. What do you mean by that? Well, you're going to have to think about it. But you know, as we give consideration to those things and and, and others, I could go on and on. I can kind of see, though, and can't you, how some people would kind of like that concept of just tell me the commands. Which ones do I got to keep so that I can enter into eternal life? 
I kind of like that. You know, there's a list there. Thou shall not kill, and thou shall not steal, and honor your father and mother. And you know, it's kind of you can check it off. Some people kind of like checkbox religion. <laughs> I had a fellow say to me one time, and this has not been that long ago. He said, "Larry, where's the Ten Commandments in the New Testament?" <laughs> I just need to know so I can check it off if I'm if I'm doing what's right. But I want to suggest to you that checkbox religion can be dangerous. Think about it. How many days or how many times do I need in a week to come to church? Once? Twice. Three times? Check the box. <laughs> or what about if I come every couple weeks? Would that be enough still to check the box? How about once a month? What about if I just show up enough that I kind of keep my name on the roll? Is that good enough? <laughs> it's kind of checkbox religion, isn't it? That's what we want to know. I want to check the box. That's, I don't want to think about it. I just want to check the box. So let me ask you this. Am I saved by faith? Did I get to check the box? <laughs> Am I saved by faith only? Well, wait a minute. Now you want me to think about it, aren't you? <laughs> Am I saved by water? Am I saved by water only? Oh, there you go. You want me to think about it again, aren't you? Scripture demands that we think about it. And that we think about our Christianity. And scripture wants us to grow. I could, I could, we could look at all kinds of passages. <laughs> scripture wants you to grow as a Christian. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, I'll, I'll just read this right quick before we pass on. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse 14. Paul says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth and love that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, even Christ. That we should no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You have somebody come along and they tell you, well... <coughs> This is what you need to believe. Somebody else comes along and says, well, this is what you need to believe. And Paul says, <laughs> no, we, we need to grow up so that we're no longer tossed about like that. We need to grow up into Christ. So I think you get the gist and the idea of where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> we're going to think about this this morning. I want you to think about it. I'm going to give you these illustrations. And, and I want you to decide, well, what would you say? So the first one is, is this an occasion of strong faith or is this weak doctrine? Now this happened back in the mid-80s, so I know some of you weren't even born by then. You know, <laughs> But for those of us who are a little older and been around for a while, we remember this. This made, this made news. This made national news. There was a father in Colorado. There was a family in Colorado. 
in the news you got the idea because of what was reported. He was a fundamentalist preacher. They had a little girl that became sick. And at first they thought it was just, you know, the typical cold, whatever it is. But it didn't get better and it kept getting worse and worse. And so he prayed for her. It wasn't really getting better. And so he prayed fervently for her. And then he had the family pray for her. And then he called other church members and had them pray for her. Because he believed that if he prayed fervently and believed strong enough, God would heal his little girl. He wouldn't take her to a doctor. He wasn't going to take her to the emergency room. She died. County prosecutor charged him. He went to trial. He was convicted. Negligent. By all accounts, character witnesses and so forth, this was a good man. It was a good family. They had several other children. And so the judge thought the best thing in this case is not to put him in jail, but rather to give him a lengthy, long probation and community service and so forth. Afterwards, a reporter approached him and asked, well, what do you think about what happened? His reply was, God is my judge. He's the one I'll answer to. Well, that's true. He's the one we'll all answer to. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the things which we have done in the body, whether they be good or bad. So, but let me ask you. You were sitting on the jury? What would be your verdict? How would you judge that father? Those kind of things happen. <laughs> That's real life. Think about it. But now here's a, another occasion that I want to share with you, and this is taken from the Old Testament. It's actually taken from the book of Judges. And it's a man by the name of Jephthah. Probably don't hear his name of a lot, but maybe you've heard of him before. And the story of Jephthah is really contained in Judges 10 through 12. He more personally shows up on the scene in, in chapter 11, but the entrance to his life and so forth, it, the story really begins in Judges 10. In Judges chapter 12, I'm going to skip forward just a little bit so you, you understand. In Judges chapter 12 and verse 7, it says that Jephthah was a judge over Israel and he judged them six years. So I know immediately <laughs> Jephthah was a judge over Israel and his time was, was six years long. Now as we think about a judge in that particular day and time, it's not a judge like we think about today, a guy wearing a robe and at a bench and so forth and having people come. A judge in that day and time was someone that God would raise up. And He would deliver His people. 
Sometimes they were kind of political. Sometimes they were oftentimes military-type people. And God's people would cry out to him, and then he would raise someone up, and he would, he would deliver them. So as you think about Jephthah, that's the kind of judge he was. He was going to deliver. He was going to rescue God's people from their enemies. But there's something else we've got to keep in mind as we think about Jephthah being a judge during those days of Judges. In Judges chapter 21, and this is a phrase that is repeated over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges, that at that time, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Kind of sounds like America today now too, doesn't it? Every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. So that's the way it was when, when Jephthah lived. There's another phrase that is oftentimes repeated over and over again in the book of Judges. And that phrase goes like this. And Israel did evil again in the eyes of the Lord. And that phrase is repeated over and over again. And during those occasions, oftentimes what the writer of Judges is referring to is that God's people would begin to follow after and adapt, adopt the customs of the people round about them and follow after their gods. And whenever they'd follow after their gods, they would follow after their lifestyle that was given along with their idolatry. So that's the time in which Jephthah is born. And then his personal story, it, it kind of matches the times, and we'll look at that a little closer in just a minute. But keeping in mind that when Israel started following after these false gods, they would, they would follow the lifestyle. And the things that these people would do and the immorality and the sexual immorality and all that that went along with that, that God's people would be involved in, in all of that. And so Israel would fall into sin. And whenever that happened, then God would allow their enemies to begin to oppress them and move in on them and to invade their borders and their cities and their villages and oppress the people and so forth. And as you think about that, and you think about their enemies moving into their land, their territory, and they would first, it'd be a little bit, and then further and further, and that's kind of the way sin comes into life, isn't it? Just a little at a time, and then it gains a little more foothold, and then it gets a bigger foothold, and then pretty soon a life is just engulfed in it. The Ammonites, on this occasion, were the ones that were encroaching upon Israel. And they had done that very thing, a little and a little and a little, and now they're pretty bold about it. And they're pressing deeper into God's people's land. Well, in Judges, the 10th chapter, and this is leading up to the life of Jephthah, the children of Israel had decided we, we need God's help, finally. And so they go to God. 
and they cry out to Him. And they say, we have sinned. And we have followed after these other gods. And you read that and you think, well, that's good. (laughs) They admitted what they've done. But you read down through 11 through 14 there, and you also see how God responds. (laughs) And it's almost like this. Lord, we have sinned. Yep. Keep coming. We have followed after these foreign gods. Yep. Keep coming. Well, that's that's what we've done. God said, that's it? Yeah. Okay, well, let me tell you what. You have sinned. You have followed after those other gods. And I delivered you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and the Philistines. And he lists all these people. I did all that for you and you still went after those gods and after their idols and after that lifestyle. You know what that's saying? You admitted what you did wrong and then you stopped. (coughs) What we got to understand about that, see, their enemies have moved in. They recognize the hold that their enemies have on them. And they admit what they did wrong. That's regret. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I really regret what I did. But whenever we say we regret something, we got to keep it clear that when you regret something, that's not the same thing as repenting of what you did. A guy goes out and robs a bank and he gets caught and he says, I regret I robbed that bank. (laughs) I hate it, I got caught. (laughs) If I hadn't got caught, I might try and rob another bank. (laughs) So there's a difference. There's repentance. And so that's the reason why God responded initially the way he did. Yes, you followed after those other gods. You worshiped their idols. You have gone into sin. Go get their gods to deliver you. That's what he tells them. Until finally they come back and now they say, we have sinned and we have followed after those gods. And we recognize that and we turn from that. And we worship you. And we serve you. See the difference? See before it's just, yeah, we recognize what we did. The Lord's saying, now what are you going to do? And see, that's the same thing today. People can get caught up in sin. But are you going to leave that sin behind? Are you going to come back to the Lord? Are you going to serve the Lord? So finally, they repent, and God becomes, as always, 
concerned about their condition, and he's going to raise up someone. So now then, I want to read to you from Judges, the 11th chapter, and verse 1. It says, Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. Stop right there. So we're introduced to Jephthah. And it says that he's a mighty man of valor. Some say he was a mighty warrior. And so that's kind of our first and initial introduction to this man, Jephthah. Now I want you to think about that. The reason why we need to think about that is this. God raised up various judges. And down through history, God has raised up various men. And each one is unique. And each one has different character qualities and so forth. Abraham. Think about him and where he came from and the kind of man that he was. You think about Moses. And you think about his background and the way he grew up and the man that he became. You think about men like David. And he was king over Israel. And you think about him. You think about Joshua. You think about Peter. You think about Paul. Each one unique. Each one different. But each one raised up at their time. Jephthah was like that. He was a man for the times. That's what God does. He raises up a man when he needs it. A man for the times. But he's also a man of his times. And what I mean by that is his environment, his family, his background plays into his character. All of that goes into that person. Jephthah is like that. And God will take that person and He will mold that person, shape that person, use that person. We oftentimes say, and we said it during our last class, as God works through us, He works in us, doesn't He? Shaping and changing and molding and bringing us to maturity. Jephthah was like that. Now I want to read verse 1 through 3. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. And then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless, and worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Gilead was Jephthah's father. And what that's telling us is that Gilead had some kind of sexual encounter how long that lasted I don't know <laughs> but a son came out of that and that was Jephthah after that verse that woman disappears 
but the son, Jephthah, remains. And he's in that house. And Gilead has a wife, and she has other children. They have other sons. And as those sons grew up, what did they say? We don't want you. And you're not going to be a part of the inheritance because you're from another woman. And then eventually he leaves and he goes to Tob, which would be like north from where they are. So you got to stop and think. How was Jephthah viewed? And it says Gilead had a wife and she had sons and yet Jephthah's there how did she look at Jephthah constant reminder of the unfaithfulness of her husband well we know how his half brothers looked at him and so you don't have to be Dr. Phil or a psychologist to figure out there's some tension in this family, isn't there? And so Jephthah's resented, and not only is he resented, he's tormented. And you can only imagine the words and the insults and so forth that were hurled at him time after time after time until finally he leaves. Can you imagine the anger that built up inside of him? You know, sometimes we like to think of, and we've kind of got this uh, fantasy, I guess you might say, about every childhood. (laughs) Those are those golden developing years, and it's all, you know, birthday parties and (laughs) loving families, and, and, and that's just not the way it always is. Sometimes those childhood years are very tough and very hard. And those hard years can turn a person hard. So Jephthah left. And it says that he joined up with some worthless fellows. Why do you think he would think that's the place where I'll fit in? (laughs) Think maybe he felt kind of like that. He's had that recording playing in his head over and over and over again. And so when he leaves, that's the kind of crowd that he runs with. And it says that they went out. And what that means is that they would go out raiding And they would go and get what they want. They would go and take what they want. But you know, as we read down through this, and as you read this entire story, we'll look at the rest of it in a moment. We're going to have to kind of skim it. But there's some conclusions that I think we need to draw about Jephthah. There's enough information there that we can kind of develop a character picture of Jephthah. He grew up tough. He became tough. He ran with a tough crowd and they went out and they raided. That's the kind of guy he was. That's the kind of people he ran with. And he got a reputation because he left that land and he went to Tob. 
Can you imagine some of the fights he got into with his brothers? <laughs> when they were hurling ins- uh, insults at him, do you think that there finally come a point where it's like, I'm not arguing anymore, I'm not throwing any more words, I'm throwing fists. <laughs> Isn't that the way it would be? <laughs> now it's coming to blows. But I think that's one of the things that helped toughen him up too. But you know, at the same time, if you've ever known someone like that, they can learn to hit and they can learn to hit hard. (laughs) But no matter how hard they hit somebody else, they're still feeling pain. It's like that doesn't get rid of the pain. I think that's kind of the way Jephthah was. And so he left and he joined up with worthless men and then they just went out raiding. But Jephthah's not a dumb guy. <laughs> Sometimes we may think, well, the person that runs in that kind of crowd, well, they, you know, they're just not too smart. <laughs> well, I would ask you to just give consideration to a little American history. <laughs> Some of the biggest gangsters, hardened criminals that this country has ever produced, they could have ran Exxon. These are not dumb people. Some of them are very smart people. But there's something else that's said about Jephthah. And even though he may have been tough, he may have been hard on the outside, Jephthah also, it's revealed that there had to be a sensitive side. In Judges, the 11th chapter, in verse 4, it says, It came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. His reputation has spread. We need somebody tough to fight against these Ammonites. Hey, you remember that kid back from years ago? They didn't come any tougher than that guy. Let's go get him. (laughs) And so they go up there. And they ask him, Will you come and will you lead us? And you know what Jephthah says? Maybe. He goes, Do you remember when you ran me off? Do you think this might have been just a little sweet to Jephthah? (laughs) Oh, you didn't want me. But now that you're in a jam, you need me. And now you come talking. And this also kind of shows that Jephthah is just no dummy, so to speak. He goes, so let's assume I go with you. And we win. We, we defeat the Ammonites. What then? You done with me? <laughs> See, he's figured that out. <laughs> you know. He's thought far enough ahead. And they go, no, 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 no. You come. You rule over us. It's permanent. This judge that we're allowing, asking you to be, is a lifetime appointment. We won't do that again. And he 
you know, kind of initially had asked them, you know, why are you here? And it's kind of like, you, you did run me off. And they're like, oh, no. <laughs> we want you to come home. You know, it's me and you, you know. <laughs> this is the Israelites. You're, you're part of that. Come on home, you know. And so when they tell him it's permanent, we're not going to throw you out again, he goes. And so when he comes back, it says in verse 11 of that chapter that Jephthah spoke all of his words before the Lord at Mizpah. So Jephthah knew God's people. Jephthah knew God. That's where he had originally started out. But they had ran him off. And so when he comes back, I want to know, is this permanent? Yes, it is. And so he goes to Mezbah where he speaks his words before the Lord. And that word Lord there, if you look in your translations, that's in all caps. That's Jehovah. That's the covenant name of God. And he says, he speaks his words there before the covenant God of Israel. I have come. I know you. I know who I'm serving. I know these people. Jephthah knew what he was doing. So Jephthah, he's smart. He's sensitive to God. He's a fighter. He's a negotiator. The very first thing that Jephthah does is he sends messengers to the king of Ammon. And he wants to know, why are you encroaching in on the land? And the king of Ammon's kind of got this opinion, well, that land ought to be ours. <laughs> and Jephthah straightens him out on that. He knows Israel's history. And if you read that, that's the account of God's people as they left Egypt and they came to that land. And he tells how we tried to come there and how we had to cross these different territories and how we sent and we asked until finally it came to the point where we had to fight our way in. And God gave us this land. So king, you're wrong on this. That's not your land. This is... God's people's. It belongs to them. But the king thinks he's pretty strong. He's not ready to negotiate. It's like, no. I think I'm holding most of the cards here. <laughs> and so Jephthah realizes, well, the only way we're going to settle this is we are going to have to go to war. And so Jephthah once again makes his journey towards Gilead and through Manasseh and he goes to Mizpah. And he knows battle's coming. And he wants to make sure God's with him. So before he enters into battle, he goes to the Lord and he makes a vow. And his vow is recorded in verse 30. He says, Lord, if you'll be with me and if you'll give us the victory that when, when I return back home 
that whatever, whoever is first to come out my door, I will offer it, I will offer them as a burnt offering to the Lord. That's significant. (laughs) That's a burnt offering. A burnt offering was completely consumed. It was indicative of total commitment to Lord, I'm with you. I want to know for certain you're with me. And so he makes this vow. But now here's what you got to keep in mind about that. Jephthah made that vow all by himself. God never told him he had to make a vow like that. That was Jephthah's idea. So God delivered Ammon into the hands of the Israelites. And Jephthah scored a great victory. And so then he's going to return home. Think about that vow for just a moment though. He says, whatever comes out my door, I'm going to sacrifice to you. And it's going to be a burn offering. I got a dog at home. <laughs> Tucker. I like Tucker. He's a good dog. And it's kind of customary here for lots of people to have pets, isn't it? That wasn't so customary in that day and time. I think Jephthah had in mind that whoever came out that door. I just don't think Jephthah thought it would be who it was. But I just can't imagine. Jephthah has been away. He has been in Tob. He has been driven from the people from where he was born. He knows his heritage. And this scripture records he knew Israel's history. And he knew about God. And he spoke his words before Jehovah, the covenant God. I just can't imagine him saying, Okay, when I get back home... You give me a great victory. You help me secure my place back with my people and back with you. And this is what I'm going to do. I'll give you my chihuahua. How's that? (laughs) You think that's what he was saying? No. No, I think he was saying something significant. And why do I say that? Well, for one of the reasons, this is big. But the people that they lived around, that was common practice for them. And child sacrifice, they did it all the time. But there's various places in the scriptures that condemn that. But Jephthah, he made that vow. And so when he returns home, Guess what happens? Who's the very first one that comes out that door? It's his daughter. His daughter. And the scripture is specific. He had no other children. 
This was his only child. And this was his daughter. And she came out celebrating that he's home. And he looks up and sees her. And it says he tore his robe. That's a sign of sorrow. That's a sign of grief. But then he tells his daughter. This is the vow that I made. This girl is something. She says to him, if that's the vow you made, that's the way it is. I only ask this. Let me go for two months into the mountains with my friends that I might bewail my virginity. In other words, I'm never going to have a husband. I'm never going to have children. My life is being cut short. I will have no descendants. In time, my memory will just fade. And so he grants her that. You can go. And she goes and she bewails that with her friends. And at the end of two months, she comes back. And it says that Jephthah did just as he had just as he had bowed. And in verse 40 it says that from that time forward it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel each year went out for four days to lament the daughter of Jephthah. And he made that vow. If Jephthah had known like he should have. He knew history. Israel's history. Didn't he know God said, don't do that. He forbade that. Leviticus. Deuteronomy. Jeremiah. Various places. Where God told them, don't do that. Don't do like the people you are around. But he grew up in that environment. Do you think that maybe had some influence on him? I think maybe so. And so he carried out that vow to the Lord. So now then, loving God with your mind. Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verse 37. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So let me ask you, how much do people know about God living in America? Are we surrounded by influence? And do you think this influence has any impact on God's people and that sometimes they do things that are inconsistent with what God's word says? There's plenty of access to information. It's been said before, there's probably no place worse to enter into judgment than coming from America. Why is that? Because we have access to so much information. Bibles, they're everywhere. You can spend a lot of money for one or you can have somebody give you a free one. We'll give you a free one. It's accessible. And how many people don't know what it says? And the pollsters will tell you 
that the average American, even those claiming to be Christian, <laughs> their information, their knowledge is limited. So how much did Jephthah know? Well, we know that he had enough faith, he had enough conviction. There was a God, there was Jehovah, and there was a covenant God. And he spoke his words before him at Mizpah. And he believed strong enough that he made that vow. And he carried it out. That's conviction, isn't it? That's conviction. But I look at that and I think, how tragic. He didn't need to do that. That was your daughter. That was your only child. And because you, not because God told you to, but because you decided, you made that vow to the Lord. And they carried it out. And that strikes me as just terrible. But I want to turn back to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11 and verse 30, where we started. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. And also David, Samuel, and the prophets. Jephthah. How'd that name get there? That's the Hall of Fame of Faith. And we talk about it all the time. Because of these characters, great faith, they did great things. And I read that and I see Noah, and I see Moses, and I see Abraham, and then I see Jephthah. And I scratch my head. And you know what? you got to think about it. You have got to think about it. Sometimes I think God records things the way He does to make us think about it. Because He wants us to grow. And the only way you're going to grow is to read those scriptures and to process it. I had a preacher tell me one time, he said, I had a guy walk into my office and I was sitting and looking at the ceiling. And he said, the fellow said to me, what are you doing? He said, I'm working. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to stop and you've got to think about it. So the Hebrew writer records these names. And I want to tell you first of all this. That as you look at those names that are recorded there in Hebrews 11 chapter in that hall of fame of faith, just because their name is there, that is no blanket approval of everything they did in their life. David is there. 
Did God approve of everything that he did in his life? No. Read Psalms 51. <laughs> David is begging to be right with God after what he had done with Bathsheba. Create in me again a contrite heart, O Lord. Cleanse me of my iniquities. The Israelites came to God and said, Deliver us from our enemies. And God said, I did all kinds of things for you. And now you come and you admit that you have followed after other gods? Keep it coming. And you've sinned? Keep it coming. We're going to quit following them. And we're going to come back and we're going to follow you. And we're going to serve you. That's there. David, what did you do after Nathan came to you? I realized I was the man. And he repented. When Israel went into apostasy, you want me to deliver you? You've got to repent. So how did Jephthah's name get there? I don't know anything beyond Judges the 12th chapter till I come to Hebrews the 11th chapter. And I know his name is there. And so I got to stop and think. How did it get there? How did that, those, those other names get there? I know this because it's written. Hebrews the 11th chapter. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For those who come to God must believe that He is and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You've got to have faith. Without faith, you cannot please God. You cannot be right with Him. And I know this also. James, the second chapter, and verse 24. That faith without works is dead. Just like the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works. I know that because it's written. I know this, that in Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 17, the Apostle Paul said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How can I have faith in something? It's got to come from the word of God. I got to read it. Jephthah made that vow all on his own. God never told him to do that. A little girl's life hangs in the balance. And a father prays. And won't take her to the doctor. Where did he get that? A nation's survival is hanging in the balance. And they know God. And they know what they need to do. How was that nation saved? Jephthah sacrificed his daughter. Where did he read that? 
A person's soul hangs in the balance. And what will you tell them? You've got to have faith. Faith only? The only time I read faith only in the Scriptures is in James, the second chapter. It says where a man is not saved by faith alone. It's the only time you read faith only in the Scriptures. So Jephthah's name is there. And I got to think, how did it get there? Well, it's there. And if God put it there, then I got to reason through the Scriptures and figure out how it got there. It is written. It is written. Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. That's written. It's written, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's written. Deny me before men and I will deny you before my Father which is in heaven. Confess me before men and I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. That is written. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That is written. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that disbelieves shall be condemned. That is written. It might take me some thinking to figure out how Jephthah's name is there. But what I want you to think about, what I need to think about, how does my name get there? Is it going to be just on an assumption? And I think so. A soul hangs in the balance. Base it on what is written. That you can count on. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And a faith that the Bible talks about is a faith that people act on what is written. That's Jephthah. That's Hebrews 11. So I want to extend the invitation to any and all that are here this morning. If you've never been obedient under the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was Jesus who said it, and it's been recorded for us. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that disbelieves shall be condemned. That's what's written. That's what I can count on. If you're a child of God and not been living faithfully as you should, it is written. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins, and the blood of His Son cleanses you from all unrighteousness. If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.